0: You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to more author interviews. Hey, y'all. It's Amy Blazik here for the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. I am here with Dr. Sheena Crosby, who has a case report in the newest edition, so the December edition of the Senior Care Pharmacist. She's here to talk to me about her article, Implication of Cannabidiol in Pharmacogenomic-Based Drug Interactions with CYP2C19 Substrates. And when I was looking at some of the upcoming articles for the December issue, this was definitely something that I felt like senior care pharmacists could really get a lot of value out. And so, Dr. Crosby, thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Crosby is an ambulatory care pharmacist at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. So Dr. Crosby, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about what you do every day in senior care.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I first wanted to give a recognition to my co-authors and colleagues, Anastasia Engelite and Michael Shu, who are pharmacists that we work together, particularly on this particular case study. And uh, we've had a really good time. You know, talking through this case with other providers and pharmacists. And I'm just really excited to share it with you all. So, my name is Sheena Crosby, and I'm an ambulatory care pharmacist who provides medication therapy management services at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. In my normal day to day, we provide pharmacotherapy services for our patients, many of whom are over the age of 65 and retired here in sunny Florida. We get referrals from over 25 different specialties at Mayo Clinic. To help minimize polypharmacy, address specific medication-related problems, for instance, identifying specific adverse drug reactions for specific adverse effects that a patient may be experiencing, review drug interactions, and ensure proper medication selection and dosing based on age and organ function, as well as do comprehensive medication reviews, which also include looking over any of the herbal supplements that a patient may have and how that also might impact their day-to-day, as well as how that might interact with their current prescription medications. We also help address medication noncompliance during these comprehensive medication reviews. In addition to pharmacotherapy, our service also provides pharmacogenomic services. A provider can basically order a full gene panel, either that be a 10 gene panel or 27 pharmacogenomic panel, at Mayo Clinic and that's completed through a non-invasive buckle or cheek swab. And when the results return through the Mayo lab, the results are integrated into our patient's healthcare record. And then our pharmacists review these results with the patient and try to apply the results during a comprehensive medication review. We then provide a full summary of the main drug gene interactions that may be applicable to that patient and provide that summary to both the patient as well as the referring provider. We also encourage our patients to share this information with any outside providers they may have, and then also ensure that the patient and their providers know that they can utilize us pharmacists as a resource thereafter in case they have any questions regarding these results. So, you know, it's, it, I think it's really important that we really educate our patients and providers that pharmacogenomics is really a tool. It's not considered necessarily the one all be all, but we use it as a tool in addition to the whole clinical picture. To help aid better medication selection and management. So it's really, it's a really great collaborative tool to use to help with medication selection. And just as a reminder, pharmacogenomics testing does not necessarily identify drug allergies, drug drug interactions, or drug food interactions. And they're mainly applicable to the genes that were tested and cannot tell patients how they will respond to all medications because mainly pharmacogenomics has to do with the medications that are metabolized through the liver, not necessarily through the gut unchanged or through the kidneys unchanged. So that education piece is really, really imperative to teach our providers and our patients.
0: Absolutely. I think you probably encounter a lot of individuals who, who look at that and think it's like a black and white list or kind of a no-no list, right?
1: Yes. And so, you know, that's why we, every person may be different depending on what other medications are taking or just the results in general. So we really try to try to take it on an individualized basis. Perfect.
0: So one of the things that you mentioned within your report is a drug gene or a drug-drug gene interaction. Can you elaborate a little bit on exactly what that is, what you mean by that within the body of your, your case report?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as a refresher, pharmacogenomics commonly known as PGX, as as an abbreviation, is the study of how a person's specific DNA sequence influences his or her responses to medications. So getting the goal is to get the right drug at the right dose at the right time for that patient. So what can we identify from this pharmacogenomic panel that a patient may have? The big thing is identifying specific drug gene interactions that may occur. And this may occur when the person's CYP450 genotype may affect the person's ability to clear a drug. So a drug-drug gene interaction may further impact metabolism or drug clearance. As an example, let's say a patient is taking fluoxetine, which is extensively metabolized by CYP2D6. As well, they may also be taking bupropion, which is a CYP2D6 inhibitor. That drug-drug interaction may show that bupropion may further inhibit fluoxetine metabolism, therefore increasing the risk of fluoxetine side effects. When you also take into a play the patient's pharmacogenomics test results, let's say they are an intermediate CYP2D6 metabolizer, bupropion as a CYP2D6 inhibitor may phenoconvert a patient or basically change them more toward being from an intermediate to more of a poor CYP2D6 metabolizer. So this drug drug gene interaction may further paint the picture of why a patient may be intolerant to a specific drug combination or we may be able to use these test results preemptively to maybe you know try to pick an alternative agent that does not undergo that particular CYP enzyme metabolism like the CYP2D6 we mentioned or consider reducing the dose particularly for that agent. So there's different ways that we can, you know, make recommendations based on how the patient's
0: responding. This is, I mean, it's so interesting just reading through this, this report. And it's anyways, I, I cannot recommend my fellow senior care pharmacists to read this because it's just so full of a lot of information. It's just so interesting. I think, like when we dig down into these things and certainly pharmacogenomics is, has definitely been a hot topic in pharmacy for at least a decade. I know that at the ASCP meeting, for at least the past decade, there's always something on pharmacogenomics. But I still feel like as a pharmacist, I'm, I'm kind of ill-equipped to interact with these reports and make recommendations. And, and I'm certain that I'm not alone in this. So if you had to give some advice to a senior care pharmacist who wants to get better at this, do you have advice? Do you have resources? Are there any good... I mean, is there anything out there that we can get our hands on that can help us get better at this?
1: Absolutely. That is that is a great question. And luckily, there now there are a lot of great resources available out there for pharmacists and providers. You know, I, I always tell my patients, you know, from, from that standpoint, you know, it's, when they have this pharmacogenomics test result, it's wonderful. You know, the information that they have, you know, based on genetics is permanent, but the information that may come out based on drug gene metabolism may change, you know, and just get better with time, with more studies and everything. So keeping abreast of the knowledge and how we may be able to apply this information is really great, and we can and us as pharmacists can be really used as an adequate tool to help explain this information to patients and providers. You know, from my standpoint, never in my life did I think that I get into pharmacogenomics. It was something that was completely foreign to me. I didn't really know how to get into it, but then I started looking more into some certificates and online CEs that are available that really broke down this information to how I can apply it. And so there there are a lot of resources, and I'll just go through some of them that I found that were helpful. Again, this is not an all-inclusive list, but maybe some things that you can look into to further advance your knowledge. Some of the free resources that I found was one called Farm Gen Ed. And that's a free online pharmacogenomics curriculum provided by the University of Southern California, San Diego, Skag School of Pharmacy. Another great free resource is called PharmGKB.org. And that's the Pharmacogenomics Knowledge Base, which is a comprehensive database for finding specific pharmacogenetic info for drugs and genes. I really use this on a day-to-day basis. It's a free resource to look up a drug or gene and view dosing guidance, labeling info, and clinical annotations that may be available. I also get access to clinical studies and references to help support my recommendations when I actually write up my soap note for these patients and my, provide my recommendations. Another free resource is the C cpickpgx.org. And that's a link to the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium. And that's where a lot of the pharmacogenomics guidelines are available for free to see how specific either drug categories or specific drugs may have either, you know, a high level of evidence for pharmacogenomics dosing guidance. That's really helpful to use as a resource as well. PharmGKB often cites the CPIC guidelines for for these resources as well. There are also many certificate and continuing education programs available.
0: For You're instance, listening the Mayo to the Senior Clinic Care Pharmacy Podcast. Medicine and ASCP's Journal Come To Life. Collaborated to Visit develop ASCP. the com slash journal for your to read the article. Certificate course.com slash podcast to listen to more author here's interviews where they include
1: PGX fundamentals, how to interpret tests yourself and apply them, tips on how to implement PGX into your practice. You can learn through specific case studies and listen as experts discuss controversial questions about the field. So it's a great certificate if you're looking for something like that. ASHP also provides a pharmacogenomics certificate. The University of Florida has an Implementing Pharmacogenomics into Clinical Practice Certificate Program, as well as various continuing education modules. And also Manchester University and RX Genomics has a comprehensive certification course. That's a home study and recorded program activity available online, so there's definitely valuable resources out there to use. um, I just you know suggest really kind of looking at some of those free resources first and um, and then you can kind of go from there.
0: Good gravy, there's a lot out there <laughs> that's
1: awesome, yeah, it's not as as scary as we sometimes we or overwhelming as we think it
0: might be so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's wonderful. And, and it really sounds like, you know, you mentioned one of the resources was a Mayo Clinic certificate program. And so, you know, just listening to, to you talk about, you know, you've got the certificate program. You also mentioned that these pharmacogenomics reports are integrated into your electronic health record. Is that right? Yes.
1: And that is super valuable for our patients here. It's something that our IT tea team and pharmacy team have really worked hard on. Because, you know, it is hard to remember everything. We want to make this a valuable tool for our providers when they're prescribing medications. We don't want it to be a difficult task. So our IT team has really done a great job integrating clinical decision alerts. For instance, like if a patient is a poor or intermediate CYP2C19 metabolizer, that should integrate with the Mayo patient's health care record. And for instance, if a provider prescribes clopidogrel, it may give them a, an alert. That says, hey, we may need to consider an alternative agent for this patient. So it really tries to make it easy for them and then may provide specific dosing guidelines or alternative medications to so really, really hands on and integrated.
0: That's really nice. I, th- I feel like within long term care, we, we shuffle a lot of paper. And so I worry sometimes, you know, even when we've got these electronic health records, I worry about some of these reports getting lost. And so, you know, recognizing you're in a health system that has really integrated these things, and, and I would say in a valuable way that can result in some positive clinical outcomes for patients, do you have any advice for making these documents enduring for those, you know, patients and facilities that might not have you know, that level of integration, recognizing that, again, like some of these decisions can be really important from a clinical outcome standpoint.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a great question. You know, getting to that point where the pharmacogenomics test result is integrated into the electronic health record was a labor of love for sure. And before we even had that as an option, you know, we had paper reports that had to be scanned into the patient's chart and you know, had to be looked at, you know, from that standpoint. So at least here at our Jacksonville campus, what we ended up doing was if there was a specific high alert drug gene interaction, we would make sure that we would put that in our pharmacy note so that the providers can, can go back to that. We would ensure that our providers, whether through in-service or through our communication with the providers, know where to actually locate this scan document in the chart. So whether that be in the media tab, sometimes it would be in there, or actually in the lab tab. We may have had to work with our IT team, too, to make sure that the scan document was specifically for pharmacogenomics, that it would be easily identified. But, you know, that was definitely a work in progress. But keeping that information communicated with providers is really important and just making sure that they understand the value of the pharmacist and how we can help be utilized as a tool to make better medication selections. That's something that we have to continually do to show the value of it, of pharmacogenomics. Something else that we did too was if it was a high pharmacogenomics, high level of evidence pharmacogenomics test result, in the beginning, we put that as an allergy in the patient's electronic health record and may just put patient as a poor CYP2C19 metabolizer in there just so that that can kind of come up in the electronic health record. Something else I was thinking, you know, if if you're using a specific software for your pharmacy system, you know, if you can maybe put an alert that says patient has pharmacogenomics test results, that can be a reminder for all pharmacists who look at that patient's drug information to use that as a resource and to look back at that. So definitely communication is key when it comes to where to find this
0: information and how to access it. Gosh, that's, I love the, the putting it as an allergy because I think that, you know, especially as pharmacists and I would guess other providers of care, I mean, we always look at those things before we are, you know, before we move forward with new drug therapy. And so I think that's really, that's very clever for sure.
1: That was our our, uh, Dr. Michael Shu. That was he had a great idea when he first started this practice here at Mayo. So (laughs) that was kind of our way around it before it was integrated into the health record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, that education component is so important, finding sort of a place for it. And then letting everybody know where it is, and you know maybe, maybe just give it, a, give it a double check before you prescribe anything. Yeah, exactly.
1: yeah and then in our templates too, with our soap notes that we provide for the patient, we may go through each drug that they're on currently at that time when we do the comprehensive medication review, and then just put on the side what the SIP implications are, so what, you know whether it's extensively metabolized by specific SIP or enzyme or a drug transporter off, just off to the side so we can eyeball it, that can be helpful to use as a resource for you know any other pharmacist that might meet with that patient in the future or during chart reviews or anything like that at the long-term care facility. So, And then we can just add to it. So that's another
0: idea to think about too. All right. So I guess the last question that I've got is actually in regards to you talk a little bit about, or actually the entire thing, not a little bit, but you talk about the CYP2C19 issues. And so for this specific case, you you say 2C19, and I think a lot of pharmacists automatically think about clopidogrel and omeprazole that made headlines a few years back with regards to some of the clinical outcomes, or at least the clinical outcome we were fearful about. And so I'm I'm curious about, is CBD plus clopidogrel, something we should be warning patients about? Because I think, you know, you probably have seen this too, that CBD use, I mean, we're seeing it in so many patients for so many different things. And so I think about, you know, all of the medicines and again, some of those really important clinical outcomes when we've got these, the potential there for these interactions. So do you, do you think about CBD plus clopidogrel being something that we should be worried about?
1: You know, I think it's definitely something to have in the forefront when you're actually speaking with your patients and going through their drug list. And that's, that's something that me and my, co- my colleagues and I have really made sure to ask during every face-to-face or video consult that we have with the patient is, do you use CBD or medical marijuana from that standpoint? What we're finding is that our patients really find value in the drug information we provide And CBD is something, like you said, that's so commonplace now. I can even find it at my salon, you know, from that instance. Many patients take it since it's considered, you know, natural from that standpoint. But we really try to educate them with the evidence that's available. You know, for instance, we have a specific CBD drug that's FDA approved called Epidiolex. So a lot of the information we got regarding, you know, SIP inhibition came from the drug Monograph. You know, there's in vitro data that suggests that CBD may inhibit not only CYP2C19, but 1A2, CYP2B6, CYP2C8, 2C9, UGT1A9, UGT2B7. So there's there's definitely a lot of room for potential drug herb interactions from that standpoint. So things that when when we educate our patients about that, I think that they really find a lot of wealth and knowledge in that because you know they just they haven't been told that before, you know. It could really be an eye-opening conversation with them, especially when their goal is to simplify medications and prevent side effects. And so when you use clopidogrel as an example, clopidogrel is a pro-drug metabolized through CYP2C19 to an active metabolite. And CPIC guidelines, like I had mentioned before, state that if you are an intermediate or a poor metabolizer, to consider an alternative antiplatelet therapy, particularly if there's no contraindication with it, like Prasagrel or Ticagrelor. So for instance, if a person who is maybe originally a normal or an intermediate CYP2C19 metabolizer, CBD, which we've shown in our article is a CYP2C19 inhibitor, may actually change or phenoconvert a patient towards more of a Intermediate or poor metabolizer, potentially lessening clopidogrel's antiplatelet effect. So, that's something that could be really, really hurtful to a patient if that occurs. And that's something that we really want to address. So, that definitely, I think it's important not only with clopidogrel to consider, but also with a patient's full drug interaction list. And, you know, we also use the natural medicines database where you can actually input a patient's. Prescription drugs, in addition to any of the herbal supplements they may use, and that can help with identifying specific drug interactions for a patient with some of the objective
0: data for that. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but I feel like Natural Medicine's database has really become a much more robust drug information resource than you know when I first started in practice a number of years ago. So, I will say that the Natural Medicine's database is is wonderful for that, and it and it sounds like from a CPIC standpoint, that they also endorse that this might be an issue. It's definitely something yeah. to consider, for sure. Well, it has been a joy to talk to you today. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to to podcast with me today. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's been an honor. I really appreciate that. So my guest has been Dr. Sheena Crosby, ambulatory care pharmacist at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And she is one of the authors of Implication of Cannabidiol in Pharmacogenomic-Based Drug Interactions with CYP2C19 Substrates, available this month in The Senior Care Pharmacist. Take care, y'all, and I'll talk to you next time. You're listening to The Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to more author interviews.